It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Last Saturday, ladies and gentlemen, was the debut of Anthony Weiner and Curtis Lee. We're here every Saturday from 2 to 4. During the course of the week, a lot of attention, a lot of focus was paid on uh, the teaming of both of us together, uh, Anthony, by our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis of Red Apple Media, our parent company. And uh, what was the feedback that you got? got Because you really hadn't been... um, uh, publicly available uh, for comments on a lot of subjects uh, over the many past months. Yeah, that's that's right. I'm actually interested in hearing what kind of feedback you got as well. It was, it was a lot in the kitty this week. I mean, there were people who originally heard our show. Um, it's a good reminder, the reach of WABC. You know, like it, I, I heard from a lot of people on the street who stopped me and said that they heard the show. Then there were a lot of stories about the show happening. Um, and, uh, so that was a different group of people like the political insider types who read the newspapers, you know, carefully what's going on in media. Some people said things like, good to have you back. There was a lot of that. And I heard that from different corners of people, you know, people who I knew for a while, there were some people who were not crazy about having me back and they, then they kind of reached out to, or to, to say that. And then the, there was kind of this next wave that happened when we appeared on Fox news together we got a good sense that the Wiener Sliwa name is catnip. They were promoting the entire hour on their primetime show. This is coming up. This is coming up. This is coming up. Wasn't my best performance on the show. But then again, there was this other tranche of people responding. I mean, I said this to you last week on the show. You know, ripping me is not hard. That doesn't take a lot of work, you know, just to list the things that I did and say this guy's a jerk. I wish he would go away and stay away. Uh, but I also don't like bullies. I don't like people who like – just want to punch the punching bag. I'm I'm willing to take my lumps if people who are operating in good faith. But there's some people who weren't. But that that attention that we got was national and international. Then I started to hear from all kinds of people um, in all kinds of places that might not tune into the radio station. And I got another reminder that, you know, WABC radio is kind of famous around the country, too. Like, people know it. It's kind of like a flagship kind of thing. So there's a lot of feedback but I have to tell you that there were some people who were checking in on me to say, hey, are you sure you want to be doing this kind of public stuff? There was a reason I stayed with my head down for, I guess, five, six years before I had been heard from. My son, Jordan, who's 10 years old and who I try, we talked about this briefly on the show. I talked about it with John Katsimatidis when, when I did a segment with him promoting our show. You know, how do you talk about to a 10-year-old about the stuff that I went through? Some stuff... There's just not a vocabulary for yet when he's 10. But when I was telling him about the show, uh, he knew enough about the, the way that I had been talking to him over the years about the relationship of fame, positive feedback, social media, everything else with what got me in my pro- my troubles to begin with. So he said to me, sister, I've got some rules for you. And he's 10 years old. And I said, what are they, Jordan? He says, one, no social media. Good advice. <laughs> That's good advice for maybe all of us. He said, um, he said, two, if you, um, if you feel that you're starting to not feel well again, be sure to, to tell us. 
and he said, three, um, you know, try to be helpful. And I didn't. I said, what do you mean I try to be helpful? He says, well, there are a lot of people listening who might need help. You know, be sure to be, be there. For he's, st- he's trying to figure out, you know, because he doesn't quite understand even what a radio show is sure, supposed to be. Sure, kid. Sure. So everyone has some, some interesting feedback. But by and large, it's good old-fashioned New York feedback. People hitting you but also saying, all right, I'm going to give you a chance. Some people hitting you and saying, I'm going to hit you more. Uh, and some people saying, you know, I want to hear what you have to say about issue A, B, or C. And um, so I'm, I'm fired up. I still don't have complete my my radio talk show Sea Legs, but we're going to get into some issues today, so I'm going to have to get up to speed in a hurry. Yeah, and, uh, in fact, uh, I didn't have a chance uh, to listen live to your interview with our owner-operator, John Katzmatidis, who has the number one rated show uh, at 5 o'clock at night, his roundtable discussion. You were the featured yes. So uh, Thursday I had a chance to listen to it because I had been involved with Guardian Angel Board uh, of Director uh, meetings uh, all night long. I hadn't been able to do that since I had uh, declared for the mayoralty back in March of 2021. And uh, it was a great interview. Uh, John got into everything. You answered everything. Uh, You were able to connect the dots. Uh, A lot of what I hadn't even asked you was brought out by John Katzmatidis. And I noticed that response from there was, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. So whether they liked it or they didn't like it, uh, they understood more of your mindset, more of the mindset of our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, to bring you on- onto WABC. And as was mentioned in many of the stories, he's the guy who gives a lot of broadcasters a second chance. If you look at O'Reilly, if you look at Sid Rosenberg, if you look at Dominic Carter, many of them would not have had a venue to be able to broadcast from. He's a believer in this, and obviously he exemplified that. Uh, and not only... Uh, bringing you back, but also in interviewing you and asking you some of those tough questions himself. Yeah, but you know, let's let's remember something else. He's also an ABC. He's also knows good good radio, and I think you know after a while, people are going to get tired of hearing about me and my problems. And I think that the aspiration here that both of us have is to bring some good conversation to the fore. And I think that he he wants to do that. He wants to do that too. I don't think that this is just a function of okay, let's. Let's throw a, um, a, a life raft to my my friend, although I, I do appreciate it. But he did ask, look, the things that he asked, you know, you probably heard this in the interview and, you, and our listeners here today may hear it from time to time. When you're in politics, you get pretty polished at answering questions of a certain type. You yes. kind of press play on it. Yes. The stuff that I had gone through and, and coming back after so many, after a bunch of years, being in prison, being on probation, having things, public things with my – with my 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 marriage be uh, be discussed, I don't have a lot of those kind of press play answers. I'm kind of doing them as we like. I'm talking to you like we would be talking if we were if we were sitting in a in a in a meeting or something. Um, so he asked me questions that, to be honest, I hadn't thought about. And if it sounded like they, you were getting authentic answers, it's because I'm I don't really have anything to BS about anymore. I'm not like asking anyone for their vote. I'm not selling anything. I just want I want to try as best as possible to be able to um, understand these things myself. So when people ask them, even if they call in today and want to ask stuff, you know, I have I said pretty clearly. And you said this to me the moment that you asked if I wanted to participate in the show. He says you got to be ready to answer the questions. And I'm like, totally. I, I understand that. No. And not only that, to those who didn't have a chance to hear John with Anthony Weiner on his 5 p.m. round uh, table discussion, it was Wednesday night. Go to WABCradio.com, hit the podcast. Uh, You can always catch up with us, including this show and every other show on WABC, 
and also the many new podcasts, like with my uh, oldest son, Anthony. It's father and son. We just put the eighth one in the can. So it's not just podcasts about shows you may have missed that are part of the daily and weekend lineup uh, and night lineup, but also other specialty podcasts. Just go to WABCRadio.com. And I think if you listen to that interview that John had with Anthony, they touched on almost everything. Uh, I was like, when I listened to it, I, I said, yep. Boy, John John did the best interview. There's no yeah, doubt about that. I no agree. doubt about it. But let's let's see if your talk radio legs are back. <laughs> One of the things that even your critics acknowledge, uh, Anthony, is that you grew up listening to talk radio, sports talk radio. You have hosted uh, talk radio. You have been asked about sports. You uh, you are knowledgeable on a lot of different areas, and you understand the rhythm of talk radio. So you think you got your talk radio legs back? Well, well, let's see. It's kind of like Muhammad Ali asking someone getting in the ring. How do you feel? Round one hasn't started yet. Everyone feels pretty good when they step in the ring, but we'll we'll, we'll see. Look, I I admit I am not an obsessive cable news junkie. I don't I don't pour through every. I I'm I'm a, probably a more typical New Yorker that I read the sports page first. So, uh, but we'll see. And, and if I don't know something, I might say I don't know. I, I, I got to tell you, when uh, Muhammad Ali made his comeback after uh, uh, refusing the draft, and he was on the shelf for, for a few years, he had a fight in this huge uh, auditorium in Atlanta against Jerry Quarry, a great counterpuncher, great Irish counterpuncher from the Bay Area. That's, as you know, that's my forte. I'm the counterpuncher, so don't lead with your chin <laughs> too much. Uh, but let's get into an area that you have some knowledge of, because when you did serve in Congress, uh, a district that consisted of Brooklyn and Queens, the old Chuck Schumer district before he went on to beat Al D'Amato and become the U.S. senator, it had a lot of Russians, Ukrainians, Buharians in it. Every minute we're hearing our President Joe Biden say that he feels Putin is on the cusp of invading the Ukraine why do you think he keeps saying this over and over and over again? Listen, I think it's an interesting strategy. It's clearly a strategy, right? Because he's already said, I think correctly, and you would probably agree correctly, we're not going to commit ground forces to having a winter ground war halfway around the world. We have interest in that part of the world, but they don't extend to committing our troops. So what can we do to dissuade this action and their strategy of turning the bright lights up on every single thing that Putin does. Putin says we're stepping back the troops. They get on they, – they send out their secretary of defense, say, nope, they're actually increasing. There looks like there is, there is espionage going on and counterintelligence things going on by, by Putin and, and sabotage of, of networks and the like. I think they're using the arrows in their quiver that they have, and I don't think there are that many. But this has been an interesting one. The question that I have is that there's so much skepticism among the American people when presidents talk about these foreign engagements to separate the wheat from the chaff, like what's really going on. I think that if Putin wants to do anything quietly, Biden has made it hard for him to do it. Now everyone's watching. I don't think that it's going to stop Putin from making from doing something, but who knows? I mean, I'm as, as much as this buildup looks like Putin, the, uh, Putin wants to go, I cannot believe that Putin wants to bite off this much. This is not Crimea. This is he'd have to basically have troops dedicated to occupying half at least of the uh, uh, of Ukraine. So I think it's a strategy for want of another one. But I'll, 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 I'll say this. When you're in Congress and you listen to these military leaders, first, you're very impressed by them. They as much as we think they may change from administration to administration, the guys that rise to be the four stars and the guys that rise. These are career guys who are 
smart, whip smart, who have gone through a very competitive process to get where they are, you'll see that they, they waver back and forth or try to manage back and forth, a better way to put it, between the idea that we are a very powerful military, can basically do whatever we want, and B, the other side of the coin is it has limitations. There's, you know, as powerful and as forceful as we are, there is only so much that we can do in all these circumstances. And so you watch these military guys trying to figure out where that line gets drawn. In this case, it seems to be we just have to bang the drum, let as many people know as possible, and use the economic sanctions if, if, if they be needed. But I, I'm still stunned that Putin wants to bite off this much. Well, also, uh, with the brand-new president of Ukraine, they call him king of all comedy because – that's how he rose uh, to fame is he was the number one comedian in all of the Ukraine. Uh, Biden is telling him, don't come to Munich. Don't meet with Vice President Harris and all of our allies. If you leave there, you may never get back. To the, uh, the Russians may cut off the air passage. So Zelensky goes anyway, which I think was the right thing to do, because if you're hunkering down, you're showing fear, fright, hysteria and submitting to the hype. Now, I don't know if he's going to be able to work his way back in through the airspace uh, to Kiev, uh, but I think Zelensky did the right thing because basically they were saying, stay there, don't leave your bunker, it's almost all over. And I'm saying to myself, why wouldn't we encourage him to travel and try to resolve this? I tell you, because we're trying to be as supportive as we can. We have a different set of imperatives than Zelensky does. Zelensky has to... He, he, well, like that, that's why very often he's d- dismissing and downplaying some of the things that we're saying about the threat to his own country. If you think about where he sits, what option does he have? He has to show he's still in charge. He has to show he still has his back up, his chest out, and his jaw sticking for He starts to act like a president. But he can't, he, he has to be careful. He can't cower as though we're about to be invaded. So he has a different set of imperatives. What we were saying, in my understanding, is a fairly obvious truth. Is that if he does leave the country, if the one of the things that that Putin wants to do is cut off the the head of the organization, that might be something that he does. And I, but I think it's another thing. And what could we do about it? Let's assume for a second that Putin does decide that he wants to to seize the airspace over over eastern and central Ukraine. We're not going to send F one sixteens over there. I mean, we wouldn't want to, in my view. I don't think that that's a. I don't think we want to interact with the Russians on that level for the purpose of getting a leader of a third country. You to know, he'll just have to Uber back from Munich. <laughs> exactly. I right? don't have to Uber back. One no, last thing. He's, he's actually going to have to get the guardian angels to, to let him train <laughs> over the border. I met with many Ukrainians and Russians in Brighton Beach, Sheepshead Bay. Uh, I actually won their vote uh, in the mayoral election. The Buharians uh, over near Forest Hills, Regal Park, uh, Kew Gardens. Uh, these people fled Soviet oppression, fled, mostly all Jews, and fled. And yet when you mention Vladimir Putin to a lot of them, it's almost like there's a pride in Putin. Strong, tough guy, iron fist. And I scratch my head and I say to him, but you escaped that. You, you didn't want to live under those conditions. What is it about that mentality that they love the strong man. Well, I have to say, first of all, you can write a book about the so, the emigration to Brighton Beach, Central Queens, and the way it's been different generation. This is not the same generation that you and I first campaigned around in the 90s and the middle 80s. This is a different. Now, this is, those are their kids. I think it's, I think you got to be careful. First of all, what you learned on your and during your race, and, and I learned representing those areas, 
They're Republican. They're voting Republican yes. consistently now. You can no longer say that Southern Brooklyn recently, I saw that the former assemblyman down there, whose name escapes me at the moment, changed party even. Alex. 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 Uh, um, starts his, with a B. Yeah, I feel, I feel bad because he's a good guy and, and someone I, I I'm, I'm uh, this is this is where the, the sea legs come in. But I, I don't think you can characterize in any one one way. I know that there is the rush, the sense that Reagan stood up to the Russian bear and made the emigration that eventually happened, the releasing of the refuseniks first and then the collapse of the a lot of people credit that give the Republican uh, 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 the Republican that 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 credit and like a lot of people who come here like the same in the opposite people who came here because of the work of FDR came here after World War II had an affinity for Democrats. That's part of it. But I think a lot of it is that there is and we see this in the voting patterns around Donald Trump, too. There's a lot of people who like the idea of a leader just being a tough guy like that's their singular parameters for what they consider leadership, just being tough. And maybe that has something to do with it. But I, I don't think that well, that, that Putin is any friend of, the, of, of Southern Brooklyn or Central Queens, that's for sure. Anthony Weiner, that's the perfect segue into our next subject. Uh, we have uh, Hillary's emergence at the New York State Democratic Convention at the Sheraton. Uh, we have uh, Trump uh, claiming that Hillary and her agents uh, bugged him both in the Trump Tower and when he was president in the White House. And Tish James uh, has been given the green light as our state attorney general, to uh, give depositions to Donald Trump himself and two of his kids. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The second week of Anthony Weiner, Curtis Lee, left versus right, right here exclusively on WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lee in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Anthony, we know, we don't just uh, talk about uh, the news. Oftentimes we're involved in the news, certainly you throughout your political career, up, down, all around. And likewise for me, up, down, all around. But on Thursday, uh, early in the morning at 930, I was outside of the Sheraton with Andrew Giuliani, who I'm supporting for the Republican nomination to become governor. And we were holding our signs up high before the uh, New York State uh, a Democratic convention was gaveled to order, first speech being uh, by a guy who mentored you, Chuck Schumer, and then a whole list of other speakers. The highlight of it uh, was Hillary uh, making the uh, speech on behalf of uh, Kathy Hochul, the official nominee of the uh, of the Democratic Party. And uh, I was out there with my signs held up. Uh, Hillary Hochul, bad for America, bad for New York State. And here it is, we're together to discuss that very situation. You probably know Hillary better than any of us uh, or anybody calling now because of your personal and professional relationship. Uh, all the news leading up to her speech on behalf of Kathy uh, Hochul was this might be sort of the opening uh, salvo of her attempt to get back on the national uh, radar screen of potentially being a uh, Democratic uh, presidential candidate. What did you make of all that, the, the buildup, uh, a week, basically a week in advance of uh, her return to the Sheraton, the stage? Well, if she was speaking at the Iowa Democratic Convention or the Florida Democratic Convention, I would say, all right, maybe that's the hint of something to come. But the bottom line is she's a New Yorker. And when asked to do stuff for the New York Democratic Party every day since since her since her, her race was over in 2016, she's done it. There's been lots of instances of that. 
Um, I think that it's not terribly – she's arguably one of the top two or three or four most prominent Democrats in the country. She was asked to come and speak. I do think there was an element, though, that she was particularly eager to speak because of the utter QAnon lunacy going on around this, like, Hillary Spygate stuff that she saw on television. We A lot of us have been scratching our head trying to – figure out like do you, when it's something's like that crazy to even answer it. I think she wanted it. She came out guns a blazing, not only at the Republicans, but also at Fox News and others who. Uh, and so uh, there wasn't anything terribly unusual. Now, if she would have come out and, say, endorsed one of the lesser known candidates, I would have said, all right, this is an interesting kind of nuancey thing she's doing. I think she very much wants uh, and she was speaking not just for Hochul, by the way, she, she came out uh, for the entire ticket. And she's going to be a good Democrat, and, and she, she and President Clinton are going to be outdoing those things, and they've said so. Uh, and she has a political action committee that helps with it, and um, I wasn't particularly surprised by it. Well, uh, uh, momentarily we'll deal with the accusations against Team Hillary that they had bugged uh, the president at Trump Tower when he was running for president, and more importantly, uh, bugged him when he was in the White House. But as a sort of senior leader of the Democratic Party, I think we we could call a senior leader in New York State, Tom Swayze, who's been around a long time, uh, his uh, father, the judge, that he went on. Remember, he ran against uh, DiNapoli for county executive, beat DiNapoli, who went on to become controller of the state when Hevesy had his failings, uh, also uh, uh, lost uh, the county executive seat, came back, won the congressional seat, is running against Hochul. Obviously, he's going to the right. He claims that Hillary had a conversation with him and said, Tom, do us a favor, uh, park this candidacy. It's not good for the party. It's not good for what can be the first elected female governor in the history of New York. Yeah, uh, totally. I think that a lot of people have said that to Tom. You know, like, keep your seat. We need that seat, and there's a, there's a chance we may, we may lose that seat. Stay where you are. Uh, the party based on 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 the vote at the democratic convention is is uh supports uh, hokel so i have no doubt that conversation happened that kind of conversation happens all the time i don't see anything particularly noteworthy about it even i i read tom's comments even he didn't see anything particularly noteworthy he says he's getting those comments a lot um he's running in a a, a, a kind of an outsider campaign you left out one other thing i think he ran in the primary against cuomo no no against spitzer was, mean, it against against Spitzer, was it against Spitzer? Governor. Exactly right. And he Spitzer. got d- crushed. Right. So this he's want he's wanted this this job for for a while. But I didn't think. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure so a that lot- would be the norm. That, that a senior leader of the party oh. would call down and say, "Hey, guy." Uh, it's almost like remember that scene on the waterfront where Terry Malloy is in the back. <laughs> he said, "You know, you told me that's not my night. You, you know, I became a one way. Uh, I was on a one way trip to Palookaville. You said it's not your night, champ." If I had in two thousand five when I ran against you know Freddie Ferrer, uh, if I had a dime for every time someone said, "Don't, don't do it. Stay in your congressional seat a little longer. Wait, wait, wait." Same thing happened when I ran in two thousand thirteen. Uh, yes, I mean, it's a fairly common thing to, that outsider candidates who are running primaries. But I'll tell you, primaries don't always hurt. I think that, that primaries sometimes help the candidate. Help. I mean, Hochul hasn't had a legitimate race in a long time, and I think the primary will, will bolster her. I mean, I'm curious what, what you think. Do you, you think Giuliani has any chance in the Republican primary? Yeah, he's, uh, he's ahead in all the polls, believe it or not, the Siena polls, the other polls. And then— I found um, an old comment by Lee Zeldin, that's why primaries are important, in which he was at a press event uh, on uh, uh, Long Island, 
uh, near the South Shore. And he was praising Governor Cuomo at that time for helping the fishermen. And he goes, you know, I'm hoping that Governor Cuomo goes on to become the president of the United States. Now, I don't have to tell you amongst Republicans that is not a very positive statement to make. It's kind of hard. You go to always praise the governor, but to suggest he should have been president of the United States. It kind of, it kind of reminds me of, of when the former governor of New Jersey gave an embrace to Barack Obama after Hurricane Sandy, and he never quite lived it down. That's right. Chris Christie. Um, but but all I, I, I don't know. It, it seems to me that probably Giuliani's just benefiting from the name, and probably that's it. It seems like Zeldin has a much better campaign put together. Um, the but, problem is Zeldin, and I've seen him speak, and I like Zeldin, but I prefer uh, Andrew Giuliani. No fire in the belly. Uh, you know Hochul, who will probably be the winner uh, of a primary, is going to uh, play January 6th all over again. We're going to see what is an MSNBC-style uh, advertisement because uh, Zeldin was one of 10 who voted not to certify the election. Uh, I have yet to hear Zeldin handle that question. Well, wait a minute, but how is – but? even more animating to Democrats and we're an overwhelmingly democratic state and probably to independents is their animus towards Andrew Giuliani's father right now. Yes. I mean, that's a much more toxic. I mean, yes. Zeldin has some baggage too, but Andrew Giuliani, you get into a general election scenario. I don't think you want the name Giuliani running statewide in New York. Well, it's a tough run for any Republican. That's true. True. Uh, and now you have the uh, potential of a Harry Wilson jumping in from Westchester did very well against Tom DiNapoli Got about 40% of the vote. He's got $10 million ready to put down right on the table. And let's not forget Rob Astorino, who uh, was the county executive in Westchester, ran a very good race against uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo, got about 40% of the statewide vote with no help from Chris Christie, remember, who was the head of the uh, Republican Governor's Conference, who would not side against Cuomo and basically diss. So you got, uh, you got four candidates, and there should be a primary uh, there should be an opportunity for the Republican registered voters to decide, just like the Democrats should have an opportunity to decide their candidate. Yeah, I, ironically, Hochul is going to be a very strong candidate because of her absence of record. Uh, you know, when when you are lieutenant governor, when you've served one term in Congress, I mean, you, I think she's going to benefit. I think people are willing to give her the benefit of the doubt because there's not a lot of really tough stuff to say about her. And I think a lot of people after years of Cuomo want to exhale a little bit and have a personality like hers. Well, I think it's like, it's like we mentioned, tough guy. Cuomo was like, yeah, El yeah. Jefe, tough guy. Hochul, whether you like her, you don't like it, you don't assume she's tough. You assume like, okay, she's measured. Uh, she measures every word. She doesn't go on the attack. Yeah, but you know what happens? It's a little bit like baseball managers. You go from these really tough disciplinarian guys, and then you know the players are like, oh, give us a break, and they play better when they like the yoke is loosened a little bit. The same way that Giuliani came after Gentleman Dinkins and – I, I think that there is a rhythm that benefits Hochul right now. Well, now, speaking of Hochul, Hillary endorsed Hochul, but Hillary's tough. Nobody nobody questions sure. uh, how tough she is. Trump, super tough. I mean, total machismo. And this week was consumed with information claiming that Team Hillary, both while Trump was running for president uh, and based in Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue, and then eventually when he was elected and uh, he was housed in the White House, uh, that they were tapping into servers, that they were attempting to pilfer information from both the Trump campaign and the Trump presidency. Uh, it became the rage for many. Uh, Hillary said, garbage, garbage. It's all made up. The truth's got to be somewhere in between, Anthony. I, I, can't... Well, I don't, Here's what's puzzling about this. 
I took the time to read the Durham filing that caused this whole hubbub. Right. Because this got reported in October of last year. There's nothing new. And by the way, there's nothing in there about infiltrating servers or anything like that. I mean, let's I mean, your, your, your listeners might have been hearing a lot about this, but not getting the facts. Let me try to lay it out a little. bit. You'll tell me if I get anything wrong. So this guy, Sussman, goes in for an interview in September of 16. He's not a president. Uh, Trump is not a president and says, I see this uh, suspicious activity going on. Go check it out. Connections between Trump and the, and the Russians. And by the way. You couldn't shake a dead cat during that time without hearing about connections between the Russians and and uh, and Trump and his campaign. And by the way, there were read the Mueller report. There's all kinds of connections between the Russians and the, and the, the Trump campaign. So that guy, when asked by the FBI, um, says, well, who are you working for? Didn't say I'm working for Hillary. OK, that's what the trial is going to be about. He says that wasn't a, that I didn't say that I was not working for Hillary when I went in and gave this tip. They're going to have a trial about that. In the course of the interviews with this guy, Sussman, he says, oh, by the way, I have some information about this third person who has been looking at what are called DNS logs, which are not infiltrating anything, just seeing what servers are talking to what other servers, nothing about what the the things are. That guy sees suspicious activities tied to phones that are only found in Russia. This is in February of 2017 that this guy finds this. Nowhere in Durham's report does it say that it was anything that any of these tests were done during Trump's time in office. It was probably Obama's time in office. That's when this guy was working. Nowhere does Durham say that. So it's, this is the most mysterious thing. And by the way, nowhere does he use the word infiltrate anything. He just says this guy, this contractor, who, by the way, didn't work for Hillary. He is nothing in this case. This is QAnon craziness. There's nothing that connects. And, oh, they got, they're spying. They're not what DNS registers just say what server was talking to another one. And the guy goes in. He says, look, I see a lot of these Russian made phones at the White House. And by the way, who was this guy that reported this activity? He was a contractor for the government trying to do security for the government. Now, he was reporting what he's supposed to report. The only connection to Hillary is the guy said this to this guy, Sussman. Sussman then said it to the FBI. That's it. The guy didn't work for it. And so. Maybe Sussman did think something was suspicious. This looks like Obama-era stuff. Ask this guy Durham. And by the way, you think if this guy Durham was appointed by, by Trump to get to the bottom of how the Trump thing, uh, the Trump investigation began, you think if he had a connection to Hillary Clinton and Hillary Clinton's campaign, you don't think he put it in the filing? Uh, yeah, he would. You notice how Durham has been super quiet this week? He had one sentence, which was already reported in October of, 2000, of, uh, of, um, of 2021, last year. So, I mean, look, I'm game for a nice conspiracy. Now, is it a coincidence this happens the same day we find out that Trump was flushing notes down the toilet? Is it a coincidence we find out this on the same week that we find out that he had stolen records from the White House in violation of the, of the Presidential Records Act? I don't know. It could maybe not be a, a, a coincidence. Maybe they're trying to make this thing a bigger thing. And I listened to WABC this week. Holy mackerel. It was the most fact-avoid conversation. She's a spy. The worst treason we've ever seen. There's no connection to Hillary. And by the way, the next filing, could we could well turn, turn out that all this, this, this traffic was going on during the Obama years. But you will acknowledge, uh, having been a political pro, that there's enormous negative research that's done by all parties who run for office. All the time. All the time. But that's not what's being alleged all week. All week, it's like we spied on this or we spied on that. And hey, by the way, Mr. Trump and his campaign, 
If you don't want to get accused of interacting with the Russians, don't have people going to prison for interacting with the Russians. Don't have meetings in in Trump Tower with the Russians. Don't have conversations with the Russians. Maybe the best way to not have allegations that you're dealing with the Russians is maybe not to have them. I mean, in the meantime, all this week, I haven't heard anyone on your air talk about what the Mueller Mueller administration found out. People going to prison. People pleading guilty. People having to be pardoned. Uh, um, investigation, 11 different instances that, they, that the prosecutor said were not the fact that this guy was a president, we would have indicted him. How about, I mean, that's actually happened. This isn't just like, oh, let's. I understand. But uh, the, Mueller, the Mueller report, which uh, held out so much hope to yourself and others uh, in the Democratic Party, did nothing against Trump. It did not weaken Trump at all. Well, whether it weakened him or not, let's put that to the side. But we know what it found. That's uncontested findings. We know people that pled guilty to crimes. We know people that were convicted of crimes. Yeah, but and we, we know. We, we also know, we, we also know how the feds operate. Come well, on, hold yes. on a second. Hold on a second. Unless you believe that the FBI, and I'm no big, you know, you know my record with the FBI, I'm not a big fan of theirs. But unless you believe the FBI made up meetings between the Trump children and the Russians about exchanging information harmful to Hillary Clinton, unless you think they made that up. And by the way, none of of the participants have ever denied those meetings took place. So you can't go out and collude with the Russians. I don't know. Why are you accusing us of that? Well, uh, that leads us to our discussion uh, in the next segment, which is Tish James has been given the okay by a judge uh, to do depositions of uh, former President Donald Trump and two of his children. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. I think, Anthony, uh, you're knocking some of that uh, rust off of your talk radio uh, performance. Uh, you're certainly getting back into the swing of things. Now, there's a person out there you know very well, uh, rose up the ranks in a most difficult fashion, a third-party candidate for city councilling, working families party, beat the Democrat, uh, the uh, brother of the Democrat who was uh, killed in city council chambers, former police officer Davis, uh, then rose through the ranks, uh, became a public advocate, and then attorney general of the state of New York, the top law enforcement agent. In all of the state of New York. And I must tell you, though, Anthony, uh, she has been for uh, defunding the police, defunding prisons, uh, stripping cops of qualified immunity. Doesn't strike me uh, as uh, very pro-law enforcement, yet her entire sort of a uh, reason for existence, like Schneiderman before her, is to go after Trump, go after his family, go after his holdings. It seems to be an obsession here. It was of Cyrus uh, Vance. Uh, before he left as Manhattan District Attorney. I don't know if uh, uh, Alvin Bragg will continue that. I'm assuming that. But you have to understand how it looks to everybody. It's sort of like, wow, man, they just won't let up on Trump, the family, and his business holdings. Why this total obsession by the Attorney General to get Trump? Well, first of all, the Attorney General in New York is primarily not a criminal law enforcement and she's not doing uh, agent and she's not doing a criminal investigation of Trump. Bragg is. So and it seems like they're working together. First, if you went to the to, to now, I haven't done this, but I'm going to bet that if you go to the Tish James press release website, not everything is going to be about Trump. But that's what people are very interested in. And I will not deny it. There is a lot of animating energy around the idea that the guy has done crimes and done things that he shouldn't have. And he's getting away with it. So I'm an un- 
I'm an unusual person to ask this question to because you asked me last week, do you think that there was an element of my prosecution that happened because I was a uh, an elected official and a prominent person? Sure. And the judge herself in handing down the sentence said those words, said that it's deterrence is necessary to show that no one is above the law. Without knowing the answer to the question, I'm going to assume that you believe that no one is above the law. And it looks to the, the clear evidence and the clear information that has become public, the combination of his tax filings, the combination of investigations that, that – uh, documents that we have access to because we have access here in New York to things that maybe they didn't in Washington. We know that there was a systematic effort by the, by the Trump organization to do something that was illegal. So now the question becomes, well, do you ignore that or do you prosecute it? I don't even think that's a close call. Yeah, but I think if we go back to the early days of uh, Bill Clinton's administration, against all odds, he won the presidency. Whitewater, the Rose Law Firm files that all of a sudden appeared at the White House. It was endless, endless Travelgate and all that. It just seemed like uh, for many it was like an act of a vendetta. We're going to get this guy by any means necessary. And I get the same sense uh, against Donald Trump, his family, and his business holdings the Democrats are aligned. We're going to get this guy no matter what. You have to see a similar pattern. Here. Well, except that the, in the case of, of Donald Trump, he ripped us off. We, the taxpayers of the city of New York and the state of New York, if that turns out to be true, because what he was doing is paying less, um, is, is paying, it was reducing his taxes by claiming something was valuable when getting a loan and claiming it was less valuable when he was paying his taxes. That's just ground ball routine tax evasion, and that's our money because we paid – he paid less, we paid more. Don't, now, so the, the question is and, – and maybe I, get, I, I don't understand the nub of the question – is the question is, sure, he did it, but come on. Let's just let him get away with it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. If you ask 10 Democrats right now what is their, their fever dream at night when they go to bed, and it's Donald Trump getting in trouble, finally be, paying a price for the crimes that he committed. I don't deny that, but – Let's take that way. You're the uh, let's uh, let me put it this way. You're the attorney general of the state of New York. You know, the facts are the facts. You simply say, ah, I feel Rahman is for the guy. He's had it too tough. I'll just walk away from it. You got to prosecute it. And it was the same thing that my prosecutor said in my case. It's like, yes, we don't normally prosecute this case. Yes, it's a fairly minor case for the Southern District of New York. But you're a prominent person. We have to send a message. Ah, what so now, message does it send? What message is sent to regular New Yorkers? But the if, hypocrisy of look at the many well-heeled contributors to Democrats and Republicans all throughout the city, all throughout the state of New York. Many of them have used the same measures to avoid paying taxes. I think we can all agree on who? that. Who? Oh, you can go through a whole laundry list of people who create the idea that, in fact, they have less wealth than they actually do, more investments than they actually this do. This is such routine and obvious tax evasion, I'd be surprised if real estate people in this in this state, in this city, who have real accountants and real organizations, I would doubt it. Hedge fund monsters, Amazon, uh, their holdings overseas. I mean, come on. I, 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 I believe those companies probably invest tens of millions of dollars in accountants to stay on the right. Now, they're taking advantage of every loophole they possibly I, I, could. I know, but, uh, this is not a loophole. Anthony, uh, Donald Trump is Trump not being, is a picture compared to them. Well, We're talking hold, multiple billions of dollars that hey, they shelter and shield. As they say in the odd couple, if it's too hot, stay out of hell's kitchen. You know, this guy's the president of the United States. He's going around bragging he's a billionaire. He's more like a thousandaire at this point. But he's he, he, this is his raison d'etre that he's this amazing man yeah, or whatever you do i do get a sense and remember i, I didn't support donald trump i voted right. in independence right. 
that there is an obsession to get him, if not one way, another way, if not civilly, criminally. There are some Republicans who hope that he will be indicted, which might prevent him from running for the presidency again. But that's a small percentage of Republicans. Putting the motivations of people, I mean, who are watching this, even maybe the motivation of Tish James. uh, Okay, maybe she does see a great political value to being a member. She's a politician. We put people in charge of making these decisions, at least in this, in this type of decision, we put it in the hands of politicians. I'm not going to say there's no political element to it. But once you have the facts, and the facts are that the guy committed crimes, at least call – at least – why should he not have to be have to be called in for a deposition? I, I don't even see the argument. All right. Well, let's open up the phone lines, give everyone an opportunity to speak to Anthony Weiner, yours truly. It's left versus right. It's the second program uh, make it uh, a habit to listen every Saturday from 2 to 4. And if you can't listen live, you can always get in on the podcast at WABCRadio.com. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Karen calling from Rockland County. Your turn to be heard with Anthony Weiner and Curtis Lee on WABC, Karen. Good afternoon. How are you? Oh. Hi, hi, Karen. I did that again. Um... Number one, as far as our governor, I wouldn't vote for her if she was the last person on earth. I never heard of her before she became uh, acting governor. What did she do in Congress and, and as lieutenant? I don't know who she is. She hasn't done anything since she's taken office. The first thing she should have done was get rid of that no bail, and it's still on the books. And all these people are getting killed, so I wouldn't vote for her if there was nobody else. Now, yeah, Anthony, like- uh, you've known her, her background. Uh, there's a U.S. senator uh, who now serves, the junior senator of New York, who has a very similar background. Originally, when she was upstate in the Albany area, she was a moderate Democrat. Some called her Annie Oakley. She was uh, pro-Second Amendment. Then all of a sudden, she had an epiphany and moved all the way to the left. I get the same uh, sense from Hochul, who came out of Erie County, western New York, was very much a moderate Democrat, and now has moved extraordinarily to the left. Who are these people that they can change their opinions uh, on the flip of a coin? Well, do you believe in representative democracy? If you do, then the fact that you have constituents who are now pressuring you or leaning on you or expressing of you – when you move from just being from Brooklyn to representing the whole state or just being from Waterville to representing the whole state. That's what's supposed to happen. They're supposed to gain more constituents and have their views. I would be surprised if their views did stay the same. If if, if I suddenly ran for governor, God forbid, and I had to understand dairy price supports, maybe my position on dairy programs would change. That's what you want. You know, of all the protests I hear from people, says politician change. That's outrageous. No, it's politicians that don't change in the face of information that I find suspicious. Well, I'll give an example, because obviously for Democrats, uh, the best, uh, greatest governor they ever had, a man who uh, had an ideology stuck by it, even when he lost. He lost the mayoralty to Ed Koch because he was anti-death penalty. Uh, he might well have lost to Governor Pataki because he was anti-death penalty. Mario Cuomo, that was like a virtue. He would go down to defeat. This is a guy who might have become president in the United States or a United States Supreme Court justice. I don't get that sense from Gillibrand. I don't get that sense from Holko. I get the sense that in whichever way I got to move in order to, to maintain power, that's what I'm going to say. That's what I'm going to do. Well, I got I see it a little bit differently. I, um, I remember that I would have conversations on the floor of the House about guns with, guy, with Democrats. Yes who were Second Amendment guys. And 
I would hear them talk about the meaning, the cultural meaning of guns in their district. Those conversations didn't make me pro-Second Amendment or, or pro-NRA, but I certainly understood them a lot better. I believe that if you represent a district, you should keep your – you should open up. Now, death penalty and, and Mary Cuomo is a little bit of a different thing. I, I don't know if there's a lot that I'm going to hear about the death penalty or about abortion or an issue like that that's going to make me change. But, of course, Gillibrand went, went – and, and by the way, it's the same as the state. The state has moved to the left. I think even Chuck Schumer, there are elements of, 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 of the way oh, he talks. Oh, hell yeah. Think, he that fears been, AOC in and a challenge. But that's what you're supposed – that's what I want a politician to be. Otherwise, I can just, I can just you know, have a computer program. All right. Let's give uh, our uh, many listeners an opportunity to call in. We'll take your calls at the top of the hour, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC every Saturday from 2 to 4. It's left versus right. You have Anthony Weiner versus Curtis Leo. If you can't catch it live and locally, you catch it on the podcast at WABCRadio.com. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Uh, we've dominated conversation, Anthony, this first hour. Obviously, hour number two uh, soon to be underway. In the meantime, let's go to the calls. It's Troy calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here. Anthony Weiner and Curtis Lee were here on WABC. Troy? Let's see if we get Troy up there. If not, let's flip the script to Tony in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Tone. Hey, guys. So I think voters need to look at governors and other local uh, elected officials as leaders of 50 small independent republics, like sort of the way you see you see uh, little 50 little countries that have the power to do everything except for wage war and make foreign alliances with other nations. And then once elected, uh, once the voters view like somebody like the governor in this light, I think people will begin to realize how important a governor is and how important it is to have a really credible governor at the helm of the state. Well, let me uh, uh, pose this question because in the next hour we're going to get to to, uh, Mayor Eric Adams' trip to Albany where he didn't get what he had hoped for, some leeway on the uh, uh, bail issue. Uh, and also uh, no support, tactical air support on that issue for Governor Hochul. It's been uh, my memory that when Rudy was elected mayor, he went to Albany. Most times uh, they said no to him. Uh, Likewise with de Blasio. The only one they said yes to often was Bloomberg because he was there with pockets full of cash saying, oh, you're running for re-election again? Oh, can I help you pack? Uh, Can I help your uh, maintenance fund for the Democrats or Republicans? He was Santa Claus. But other than that, Mayors tend not to be well-received in Albany. It's almost like Albany flexes, like, hey, let me tell you something. You don't have home rule there. We control a lot of what goes on in New York City. Would I, would I be correct on that, Anthony? Well, the last part is that that's the nut of the problem. I mean, I wonder how many New Yorkers, when they read those stories, says, Wait a minute, why, is, why is Eric Adams going to ask senators from Skinneapolis or Plattsburgh or Buffalo or Oneonta Pick an issue, whether we can put in more red light cameras or whether we can approve more liquor licenses or get more charter schools. Well, why does that exist that way? It exists that way because back in the day when the Constitution was being written, we are a creation. We, the city, is a creation of the state. And there might have been a time that we needed that babysitter. 
It might have been that time you said, well, listen, New York City, it's all it's corruption nonstop. It's it's tweed. It's everything else that doesn't really exist and hasn't for a while. But you're right. I think there was a little bit too much made of the mayor's, quote unquote, failure in his first trip. Like he goes up. He knows all of those people. He goes in, has meetings. I don't think anyone expected everyone to emerge and say, listen, we, this group of leaders who are to the left of you on these issues you're talking about, are going to suddenly call in our, our legislature to change our rules because you want it. It's going to take a little a little hustle to do it. But you're right. You know, it, it's it's called the the, the 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 tin cup trip. Every mayor has to go up there with a tin cup begging for shekels from the, the, the legislature. I wonder if if that's if that should be the case. By the way, Antonio alludes to this a little bit. And maybe this is what his question was about. You know, we have the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution, which says that anything that the federal government is in charge of the states, we should have something like that. In our, you know, anything that is not a statewide well, issue. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, New York now the fourth largest state. We've lost population. So you have California, number one, way ahead, then Texas and Florida. California, they're talking about uh, bifurcating it into three separate states. People are so upset at the control that Sacramento has over their lives. Likewise, in New York, I remember as a kid growing up, I'd be watching Channel 13, PBS. They had a program called the 51st State. They actually advocated that New York City, because we were the economic engine for the state, Wall Street created most of the taxes uh, that New York State survived off of. And there was a move afoot by both uh, conservatives and liberals to create a 51st state. And then all of a sudden that went asunder. But you would say the power of New York City to be held back by officials in New York State, even in managing the schools, in order to have mayoral management of the schools— you have to get permission from the state legislature. How does that make any sense? Yeah, well, this is why I think it was in 2015 where it came up last, maybe 2015. I don't understand why every, we have a very rare thing in our Constitution that says every 10 years we automatically go back to the people and says, hey, do you want to change anything here? I think it's one of the few constitutions that has it. It's an Alexander Hamilton provision. I don't know why progressives, guys on my team, don't seize the opportunity when we have these charter revisions uh, these um, these constitutional convention revisions opportunities jump in there and say let's 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 well, think of the 10 you know what ways. happened Anthony because I was in the forefront of that as chairman of the uh, reform party promoting that and then the unions came out and told their members you know you lose your pensions fear fright hysteria hype immediately the unions um, union membership panic pressured the elected officials uh, because the idea of having a uh, state constitutional convention was ahead in the polls. And then just came, uh, f- crashed in burn. Right, because those union officials have a, 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 a failure of imagination. They believe that they're influential and they won't be in a constitutional convention. They'd be super influential in a convention also. Absolutely. And they could accomplish all the things that they maybe couldn't because of the crazy way our system works. But I believe that every 4th of July I used to do a press conference, a Declaration of Independence, 10 things that we should do to be de- to, uh, independent from Albany. It's going to be a constant fight for Adams and more power to well, it. Well, I tell you, I remember July 4th and the gardens, uh, flag day uh, in that area. And right before July 4th, you announced you were running for mayor of the city of New York. You shot right to number one. When we return, more of Anthony Weiner, more of Curtis Lee were left versus right, exclusive to WABC. If you can't catch it live, get it on the podcast with all the other great podcasts at WABCRadio.com. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. 
And here we go, round two today. This is uh, second time around this Saturday, every two to four. Uh, you can catch Anthony Weiner versus yours truly, Curtis Lewa, and get it on the podcast if you uh, uh, can't hear it uh, live. And then share it with others out there who are wondering what this program is going to be like at WABCradio.com. Uh, uh, let's uh, hit on some local issues. You ran for mayor, uh, uh, Anthony Weiner. In fact, many believe you could have been mayor. Could have been elected twice, in fact. Uh, the time that Bloomberg uh, sought a third term after being missed term limits. You were ahead in the polls then. You chose not to run. Billy Thompson uh, gave him a good run, and halfway through election night, he was ahead of Bloomberg, even though Bloomberg had spent $100 million. And then, naturally, the next time around against de Blasio, uh, as I had mentioned, it was Flag Day. I'll never forget, you had already left Congress. People said, nah, he's not going to come back. And there I was uh, with my two youngest sons, Carter and Hunter, their annual pilgrimage to the gardens in Forest Hills, for the Flag Day ceremony. Who's there? Anthony Weiner. And the buzz in the crowd is, he's announcing he's running for mayor. And I'm like, get the hell out of here. Are you kidding? He's got no shot. Uh, Christine Quinn was down the block with Joe Crowley, the chosen candidate of Bloomberg, of Crowley, endorsed by the Times, endorsed by the News, endorsed by the Post. And you shot to number one in the polls. And probably would have won that Democratic primary against de Blasio and others. But then uh, you became unglued. So you know about uh, running for mayor and all the issues as well as anybody. I just had my opportunity to run for mayor. Our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, in 2013 ran for the Republican nomination. You got three people who pretty much know all the different issues that go into making a mayoral candidate. Here we had Eric Adams, who, uh, in my view was anointed, given a coronation by the predominantly white press, especially the New York Post. They were the first to endorse them. Unusual. They didn't interview even me, the white candidate, the Republican candidate. Not even interview. They interviewed Andrew Yang. They interviewed uh, Eric Adams and then decided they were uh, anointing Eric Adams in the Democratic primary and also in the general election on that day. Never before happened. Uh, the Times had endorsed Kathy Garcia when uh, Eric Adams won the ranked choice voting. Uh, They flipped and they said, "Okay, Eric Adams is our candidate. Likewise, the Daily News. So I said to myself, when he came back from Albany, he didn't get what he hoped he desired uh, with some movement on the uh, bail issue. He immediately launched an attack against what he said were predominantly white journalists and Anthony Weiner. Without those white journalists, he would not have become mayor of the city of New York. No doubt in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he had he had some. Look, you, you, everyone gets a little bit of a honeymoon period. I think the Post supports him because he was staking out a more conservative Democratic position. Although, you know, when you're the mayor, nominally it's it's, it's conservative. It's you know just being a more you know a dealing to, to treating crime as 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 job one. Um, yeah, that was, was some colorful stuff. That press conference, he he really he really laid into it. I think there was a little bit. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. A little bit of the equivalency of going into the prison yard and punching out the biggest guy there, just kind of let play put the flag down. Or I used to have a tennis coach when I played tennis at Plattsburgh State University College, the Harvard of Clinton County, New York. I had a tennis coach used to say to me, you know, um, we, we used to call our own lines. You were Division three tennis. We didn't have linesmen or anything like that. And he says, you know, early on in the match, kind of raise an eyebrow or question a, a call that your opponent made. 
even if it's fine, you know, just kind of just to kind of set, you know, make him think a little bit. All right, I don't want him to think, you know, maybe you'll get a break later on. I think there was a little bit of that of kind of working the refs a little bit. I don't think it amounts to much of of anything. I think he was expressing frustration because he was reading some of the coverage about how he emerged empty handed when he probably got on the train thinking, you know what, those are pretty productive meetings that I had. I, I did. I think we did OK up here. Yeah, but you know yourself, having gone through this, that the press is going to build you up and then knock you down. Yes. Don't don't I ever. Right. (laughs) These were mostly black officials that he met with up there, who are the power brokers. Uh, Cousins, who runs the state Senate Democratic majority, a supermajority, Hasty, the speaker, uh, supermajority of Democrats. Hochul, who has been an ally in most issues with Adams. He couldn't get what he wanted. So instead of coming back and say, you know, which he originally said, I'll make for a safer New York without revisions to the bail issue because it doesn't seem they're going to move and they have the final say. He just tore after the the white journalists. And I say to myself, coming on the heels of a tape that had just emerged of a speech that he gave right before he announced for the mayoralty when he called his fellow white police officers during his 22 career, 22 year career crackers. Guy is starting to set into motion this. It would be like when you were running for mayor, if every time you were attacked, that's anti-Semitic, that's anti-Semitic because you're Jewish. Uh, He did that to me. He said I was a racist. Nobody thinks I'm a racist. They may disagree with me, but a racist I'm not. Andrew Yang was a racist. So it's like this card. Whenever he gets angry, he accuses people of being racist and not understanding him because he has black skin. I will say this. I think that he's going to have a lot of dust-ups with the press between now and, you know, his, and the end of his two terms. I, I think that's going to happen. I think, and I think that there might be some element of frustration that he has about the way some of these things are covered. I know every mayor has the same experience. It takes some, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. Sometimes they have different rationales for it. Um, I, I didn't 100% get my arms around the exact beef that he had this with this thing because it, I think that he – I don't know 100% like what he who was referring to in terms of the racial element of the coverage since I didn't really sense that there was a racial side to it. Um, and I do think that the, he might have had a reasonable beef that, look, what we did up there in Albany, here's the five or six ways I wish they would have covered it and they didn't. I'm I'm not particularly concerned about it. it. It's him expressing real human frustration about stuff. I'm fine with it. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's something we're going to remember in a couple. But of I weeks. think if you are a, a journalist of color, our own Dominic Carter, who was the face and the voice of New York One for many many years, Herson Barrero uh, used to be editor at El Diario, regular contributor to New York One. It's almost like he was implying that they'll treat me differently than white media. Now, that puts pressure on them, journalists of color. Like, well, wait a second. I have to treat you differently? Well, no, I think what he was saying is a common refrain in all walks of life, which is the more diverse the workforce is, particularly when you're, you're doing the, when you're in the communications field, which is ultimately what press is, diversity is a virtue. And I think that's fair. I mean, I, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what <laughs> with the Room 9 diversity situation is right now. I really don't know. I don't know. I have been away from the game enough that I don't know from reading a byline what, what race someone is. I don't think he did a particularly great job of getting from point A to point B. I think he expressed his concern, but what was it that demonstrated some kind of a racial, pardon me, a racial filter that didn't benefit him? I'm going to leave, I'll leave it to him to flesh that out because I, I admit, I agree with you. I don't know where it was, but I do kind of like this fundamental Adamsy kind of thing that de Blasio didn't have. Bloomberg definitely didn't have. Giuliani did have. Like this whole, like, 
you know, this kachi and kind of like, here's what I'm feeling. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to wear it on my sleeve, and then I'm going to move on the next day. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. And, and obviously, conflict plays well. So we read more about that than the, than the minutia of what happened with the three people in a room up in Albany. Uh, but I will admit that I don't know what he was connecting to. Well, let's go to the phones. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Johnny in Huntington. Your turn to be heard here as our second program featuring Anthony Weiner. And yours truly, Curtis Lee, kicks off. And again, if you want to listen to the first one that debuted last Saturday, just go to WABCradio.com and get the podcast. Uh, go for it, John. Hey, Curtis, longtime listener. appreciate you putting me on. Uh, I got to give Mr. Weiner compliments. Very articulate and enjoyable to listen to. But I think his party is destroying our city and our country. And I just can't imagine that you're not approaching him with, I mean, every policy that I'm completely on the other side. Just simple fact that the kids that have to wear their mask in the elementary schools and high schools where it makes absolutely no sense. They're not even once getting sick to closing of the Keystone Pipeline uh, to having oil and gas doubling costs for us. Uh, I'm a general contractor. It's killing our industry, it's killing the country, the cost of food, everything. I mean, how could he? How could that party possibly think they're doing our country any good? Well, how about uh, how about we take uh, one at a time, uh, give him an opportunity? Because remember, he's getting his talk radio legs back. He needs to be heard. Uh, we're all heard at WABC. I'm heard like 22 hours uh, a week. It's WABC always broadcasting. Curtis, we need to hear from Anthony. Perfect question though about masks for children. Uh, you just spoke of your son early on uh, when we first began the program, 10 years old. Uh, I'm sure he has to wear a mask in school. I have three sons, Anthony, Carter, Hunter. They're forced to wear masks in school. It drives me nuts. How do you react to it? Well, I, I, we, I'm, 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 I can't stand the masks. I understand the challenge that policymakers are in. You know, we try. We have the standard for what we have our kids do is pretty low. Like it, 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 we try to reduce risk as much as much as possible. Recently, his school started letting them take off the masks outdoors. And recently, over at Chelsea Piers, where he plays hockey, they said he doesn't have to wear a mask on the ice. And I got to tell you, if, if, they, if they had a mask bonfire at the rink, the kids would have been rallied around it. Now, hold on a second, Anthony. You mean to tell me if he's chosen, like you have played uh, in the Nets, uh, Gump Worsley, uh, he's got to wear a mask. I think Gump was the no, last no. goalie not to wear a mask in the NHL. He's got to wear a hockey mask. No, no, no. I, I mean, they, they were making them wear oh, the kind oh, of I mask see, we're talking about. That's right. Otherwise, you get a face Well, you know, line. it reminds me of uh, Ron Duguay. We saw him as he was escorting. Sarah Palin, a federal court on that defamation and libel case, he refused to wear a helmet. Remember, refused. Well, to wear a helmet. I got to tell you, in his era, that wasn't that uncommon. Most most players didn't wear helmets. I mean, there was you know you had on the Rangers of those that area like Dale Rolfe. You know, the defensemen wore helmets. But by the way, the other thing about Ron Duguay, he looked freaking good. Good grief, oh, man! He's a GQ model. The guy looks good. I'm serious. But uh, but listen to John's question. I mean. I think these are really tough policy questions because the 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 line is low, and also there's a little bit I call it the the nail clippers at the airport problem. Once you ban something because you say it's dangerous, or once you put a policy in because you say it's for health and safety, sometimes it's really hard to dial it back. You know, like still today, I think we can bring nail clippers on airplanes, even though there hasn't been a terrorist to take down a plane with a nail clipper in quite some time. 
And I, uh, but I, I think it's a challenge. But I want to tell you, John, it's a challenge in Republican areas too. It's not like this is an easy question. The other things that he mentioned, yeah, inflation is a bear. It's not the Democrats who made inflation. Thirty-eight countries, all all the big industrialized countries, are seeing an increase in inflation. In inflation, the inflation rate started to spike up because of COVID, because of the distortion that it's had in the marketplace. The the so the idea that I don't believe that running New York City. As an ideological person, like to be fair, de Blasio tried to do, is a very good footing to be on. I would agree with John if that's what he means. Like, but in terms of like Democrats driving things to the ground, well, I don't know. I, 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 I don't. That's I, one of the reasons I think Biden uh, speaks of the re- Ukraine uh, and Russia's invasion every five seconds. He wants to distract us from all the other issues. Inflation being number one, first and foremost, he has no answers. He won't even acknowledge that it is a growing problem, has no answer for it, uh, fumbled it initially, uh, continues to fumble it. You know it's the bread and butter issue. It could cause the Democrats to lose the House in the midterm elections and even the Senate. Well, I don't I don't believe that he's talking about Ukraine to distract because I don't think it's a particularly it's a tough position when in Ukraine. I don't think it makes Biden look terrifically good to say, listen, please don't don't invade. Um, yeah, inflation is a problem, but I got to tell you, some of the, a lot of the indicators, you know, with inflation goes higher rates. Job, our job, um, um, uh, our job uh, uh, report from the last month was not only good; it was better than it's ever been. Literally, the best month we've ever had. You've got the, obviously the stock market, while it's going up and down, showing an awful lot of confidence in the long-term perspective on things. Inflation is not the worst thing in the world when you're dealing with deficits and debt because you inflate some of it away. So, yes, inflation is a problem. There's no doubt about it. But it's going to be monetary policy that's going to tackle that bear. It's going to be monetary. But and if you would really, you acknowledge and, uh, you've but if you a, believe that? You've fish- been a very pragmatic, common-sense politician in your life. Uh, that is like uh, a death warrant in the midterms because people inflation immediately not- see gasoline, bread, milk, prices of in- basic staples. And no matter – most people are not political. They're, they're apolitical, but when all of a sudden you affect – their finances, they suddenly become very politicalized. You can have no you can have no policy difference at all with Biden and you can see inflation and you blame Biden. That's what it means to be the in party. You could have you can say, listen, COVID came out of nowhere. Trump is in office during COVID. I'm not going to vote for Trump. Yeah, they, there are sometimes. But in terms of whether or not there's a Democratic position that somehow is better or worse on uh, on, on inflation or that caused inflation, I don't think that's the case. Let's go if we can to Amy, who's calling from Connecticut. Your turn to be heard here. Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right on WABC. Amy. Yes, sir. Welcome back, Anthony. I just want to remind you that uh, Hillary Clinton gave the Russian. 20% of Uranium One and got $150 million to her account. Second things I would like to tell you, how can any Jewish can be part of the Democrat Party today when 75 elected members voting to boycott Israel? And I'm not talking about Farrakhan and Sharpstone. I'm talking about elected people, 75. All right, we'll give uh, Anthony an opportunity to address. Well, both thank those you. Questions. I think it's Ami. Ami, I, uh, let me let me take both those issues. First, it wasn't Hillary that voted to let that deal go through. It was this interagency board that has to approve all of these these things. She was one vote, I think, of nine on it, and it passed unanimously. I mean, I we have these international transactions that 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 go on. As far as the anti-Israel element of the Democratic Party, it is a problem. We have a problem, we, the supporters of Israel, particularly those who are Democrats, with our left. 
we have a problem that for some, the, the David and Goliath story has been turned on its head. And it was one of the things that I worked very hard on in, in, in Washington. And many of us who are particularly pro, pro-Israel members, we tried to divide up our, the opponents of these votes into different categories. Some people represent a lot of Palestinian constituents, a lot of uh, constituents from the Middle East who were doing it because they're, that's their political – that's what the politics demanded. Those people are doing their job. Some people because they didn't know any better. And we focused a lot on those to try to educate them. And there are some who are just anti-Israel, bordering on anti-Semitic in my party. I believe that. But that doesn't mean I leave the Democratic Party. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. When we come back, uh, if you were still serving in Congress, hypothetically, how would you deal with the leader of the squad, AOC, who does not really represent Palestinians? If you look at her district, you're, you're uh, well familiar with that in the Bronx and Queens. It's mostly Hispanics, Puerto Ricans, Central Americans, Mexicans, some whites, uh, some blacks, but predominantly Hispanic. Uh, and her position that she's taken on Israel and some of the other uh, liberal progressives. Uh, our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. It's the Saturday afternoon special. Anthony Weiner versus Curtis Lee. If you haven't heard it before, just go to the podcast. You can hear the first episode, which was last Saturday, and all the great podcasts here at WABC at wabcradio.com. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Who can ever forget that famous moment in the well of the House? Uh, Anthony Weiner, congressman representing Brooklyn, Queens, the old Chuck Schumer district before he went on to become U.S. Senator versus Congressman... Uh, Oh, Peter King. Remember that classic showdown on the floor. Peter King, Nassau Suffolk versus Anthony Weiner. It was, it blew up. But just imagine if you were still serving in the House, uh, and it's AOC time now. She was the new Jack coming in. She has a lot of support, the squad and others. You get a guy like Reginald Bowman, uh, who uh, took out Elliot Engel, who had the endorsement of every mainstream Democrat, Schumer, Hillary, you name it. They were all for Elliot. He took out Elliot. He seemed to be like really uh, pro uh, BDS, uh, anti-Israel. Then he tried to vacillate back. Now he's vacillating back again. He's like a human piñata because the strength of the squad is basically saying to him, hey, you side with Israel against us. You're no longer part of our team here, the Democrat, liberal, progressives. That's it. Out you go. What would you do in a situation like that? You're their fellow Democrats. You have to meet with them. Uh, you caucus with them. How do you handle that? It's, it's a real strength of that institution. First of all, you presume goodwill. You presume that if you – that people are operating in good faith – just because that you disagree with them doesn't necessarily mean that they're irredeemable. We had to handle this all. The, it was a common thing. You know, how do you find, you know, new, particularly with newer members, you know, not everyone comes from a bastion of Yiddishkeit like I did coming up, you know, through a district that had Chuck Schumer, Liz Holtzman, Manuel Seller, you know, that, that you kind of cut your teeth. So why was Ronald Reagan so pro-Israel? 
because working in the labor union in 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 the actors' equity, uh, what was this? What, what he yeah, was in charge? He was uh, president. He would, he would go to bond breakfast every Sunday. Yes. It was part of his upbringing as a politician. I presume that a lot of these politicians. Now, let me straighten that out. Not bunt meetings. Israeli bond <laughs> breakfast. We got to straighten that out. Okay, go ahead, Ed. Right, but uh, but he so he cut his teeth understanding these issues, learning about them very early. I have to assume that some of these Democrats, some of these liberals who are taking the positions they do, I can help them by talking to them a little bit about the history. Look, it's very easy to turn on TV and see Palestinians holding rocks and see the this one of the most powerful militaries in the world holding guns and say, okay, that's David, that's Goliath, and not realize that, no, it's one country surrounded by 20 countries who are trying to wipe it off the face of the earth. I think that everyone in Congress is in the perfect place. If you want to go by just a talking point, in Congress, you have access to the Library of Congress. You have 434 of your colleagues. You have plenty of opportunities to get learned up on the issue. So if Bowman or anyone else comes around on the issue to, the, to the, what I believe is the right side of it, it's because they did what we want them to do. Listen to the testimony. Listen to the experiences of their colleagues. Listen to the experts. Listen to the, the folks in, in the State Department. And I think that I think that brings them well, around. How do you handle, though, the lightning rod for that AOC? She is, without question, the leader of that group. Uh, she controls money. Uh, she sort of sets it up. If you want a DSA endorsement, you got to check off these boxes. She is the figure of the DSA. And in fact, uh, as you know, uh, Bernie Sanders has said probably she is going to uh, take over the movement. Uh, when it's time for me to move on and others uh, who are baby boomers to move on. How do you approach her, talk with her? Because notice Eric Adams will not even mention her name. Chuck Schumer will not even, I mean, he wants to be side by side with her. Uh, I think he fears a potential challenge in a primary. How do you deal with that? Especially when the the, uh, uh, subject of Israel is so volatile with that group. Well, for one thing, I would probably deputize someone like, Senator Sanders, who is progressive and liberal as he is, is very strong, hawkish on Israel because of where he came up and his understanding of the issues. I think that she's a very, very important person to bring around on these issues. And I don't know her. Um, but, yes, you're right. She has an enormous kitty. She's got like this this, this pile of money that she's got to, to, to dole out to others. I think that that, that should be a, an important project for, for Zionists and for pro-Israel people in Congress, for the APACs of the world – for the J, J, uh, the other pro, pro-Israel organizations, I think she's a very important constituency of one. Now, because she is the queen of social networking, bar none, and you were the king of social networking in your yeah. time. Well, well, you were. You were like uh, quick to respond, uh, boom. Uh, so was Cory Booker, quick to respond, boom. He doesn't do so much uh, as much any longer. Would you go the social networking route to challenge her on the issues, or would you just keep it behind closed doors? Wait a minute. Do you, do you, do you remember who you're talking to? Yeah. You think I should go on social media and do anything against no, no, anybody? No, I'm, I'm just saying if all things no, being equal, I, you no, had I, run into I your problems. No, I don't think that. I think that the way to do it is not in a context of 160-character whatever. I think the context to talk about issues important to Israel in the Middle East defy that kind of 30-second analysis. I think the problem is too much of the left and too many – too many people who are getting elected now taking these anti-Israel positions are doing so because they've, they've had the debate reduced to 30 seconds. You want to talk about what's going on in the Middle East, you've got to understand not just going back to 1948. You've got to go back to, 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 to almost to biblical times to understand what's well, going on Well, we had discussed last week the Abraham Accords, uh, obviously the uh, uh, then-President Donald Trump's uh, son-in-law. 
uh, was a key to that. Um, would you have been supportive of that? Oh, the idea. Well, well, to be honest, it's really up to the, to Israel and those those states in the region. Look, when when a, when a country like the UAE quietly knows that Israel is a very important trading partner, a very important partner in the region, but has difficulty saying it because of the of the vaunted status of the Palestinians. I think that it's in their interest, Bahrain, it's in their interest to have relationships with Israel. I'm, I'm very glad that they do. I think it's, a, it's an enormous step forward. Will we see in our lifetime a relationship between the Saudis and the Israelis publicly? I think the, it's entirely up to the Saudis. I mean, the Saudis, this, I am not fond of the Saudis. I was the leader of the effort every year to make sure we didn't provide them with a dollar and they were held accountable for, for their deeds all around the world. They are the single biggest exporter of, of terrorism, or at least had been. Um, I think ultimately it's up to the Saudis to decide. They're not going to I mean. Look, the Saudis have a bigger problem than Israel, and it's called Iran. I mean, their 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 problem is a Shia problem, not an Israeli problem. Well, you know, interesting. I'm not Jewish, as you know. I'm a Gentile. I visited uh, Israel many times. You're an honorary, times. though. You're right. Honorary. I had the stamp and Gurion Airport, so I had to go to Dubai. And boy, they were sweating me down in Dubai. But eventually, they let me go on to Bahrain. Bahrain is uh, where we have our largest U.S. naval base uh, in the Persian Gulf, Middle East. They argue Persian Gulf, Middle East, depending on whether you're talking about Iran or you're talking about the uh, Sunnis. Uh, There, they didn't have a problem. But I went across the isthmus on the bridge to Saudi Arabia. As soon as they checked my passport and saw Ben-Gurion, you ain't coming into Saudi Arabia. And yet we know from time to time the sheikhs who have had some medical issues do not have a problem at all giving passage to Jewish or Hindu doctors when their life is dependent on it. You would think that exposure like that would eventually crumble this hypocrisy of theirs. I got to believe that eventually it all ends. Well, I think ultimately it's going to be the Saudis are going to look at the horizon and say, what is our bigger problem? And they're going to see the rise of Iran and the rise of of Shia. Of Shia is, I mean, the, the the Shia crescent is a bigger problem for them, and that'll ultimately be the case. But remember something, and you probably appreciate this. You know, we think ter- time moves in four year blocks or year to year, or from a budget to a budget, or one Super Bowl to the next. In that part of the world, ten years of waiting or ten years of posturing is nothing. Twenty years is nothing. Forty years, fifty years, just the sands of time move slower there. But I do believe eventually they're going to get there. Now. The present crown prince there has shown tendencies in both directions. He likes to hang out and have cocktails with Mark Zuckerberg, but he also, you know, basically beheads opponents. And not only that, friend of Lindsay Lohan. Whoever thought that that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia (laughs) would be a a friend, I don't know with benefits, but a friend with Lindsay Lohan. I'm going to see another reason to tune in. You can get all (laughs) up to date on Lindsay Lohan and the royal family of Saudi Arabia. And then he did the Khashoggi. He did the Khashoggi uh, on an adversary. So you say to yourself, who are you dealing with there? A guy who's been westernized. We know he's been westernized. But a guy also who wants total and complete power and would definitely kill and destroy any potentially uh, potential. Yeah, I tell you the one zone. thing we have to break, and this is Democratic and Republican. This this presidential love affair with the Saudis because they've got so much money. Now, listen, they're they're powerful, they're persuasive, but you leave office, president, all the both President Bushes get big help from the Saudis. President Clinton, my friend, help from the Saudi. You know, president Trump, you know, very friendly with the Saudis. His son, very friendly with the Saudis. I I think we have to look at their record, and it's abysmal. We don't want to be friends with the Ayatollahs like that, do we? Well, we don't want that's 
True, but that's not our choice. Our, our choice isn't those two bad options. Our choice is for the Saudis to start behaving like better citizens of the world. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Eddie out in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here. Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa on the right every Saturday, 2 to 4. And if you can't catch it live, you catch it on the podcast at WABCradio.com. Eddie? Hi, uh, Curtis and uh, Mr. Weiner. Look, I've been, I've been listening to radio for the longest time. And I'm telling you right now, the American people are tired of all the deception, all the lies. The wake-up call that everybody should be listening to is what happened in California when the school board was recalled. We are tired of being told, investigate this, investigate that. How many years did we have to go through Trump being investigated? They didn't find anything. And now um, Mr. Weiner is exposing more more investigations. We're tired of all the nonsense. And the American people are paying attention. What's coming in, in November is going to be a shock heard around this world because the American people have the one power that all politicians are afraid of, and that's the vote. Well, thank you, Eddie. I, 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 I guess we haven't gotten much in the investigations of Donald Trump. 37 indictments, seven guilty pleas, 14 criminal matters that were referred to the Department of Justice. The guy is a walking violation of the law. So, I mean, you know, you don't want investigation. Stop doing crooked things. All right. Now, about the San Francisco vote. Again, the Asian community flexed its power at the polls. Three of the board members were recalled. Upon being recalled, they blame white supremacists. Now, other than at Bed Bath & Beyond in San Francisco downtown near Market Street, it'd be kind of hard to find white supremacists in San Francisco, uh, even if you had a white sheet sale going. But notice the knee-jerk reaction. Instead of waking up and saying, Parents are not interested that we change school names from Abraham Lincoln to somebody else or George Washington. They want a better education for their children. They blame white supremacists because they were ousted in a recall, which, as you know, Anthony, we don't have it here in New York, but it's a very difficult thing to do. Why were they ousted? I I, I missed this. Forgive me for not keeping up on school board politics in San Francisco. Why were they ousted? Well, just like you have school board problems all over the country, the attitude is, wait a second, let's get our kids back in the classroom. Let's get them learning again. They are so far behind. And you're focused on wanting to change the names of schools, in this case, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. And finally, they stopped doing that because they realized it had gotten so much anger from the parents, mostly Asians, uh, and they were sacked in a recall Wait a minute. election. Wait they were they – were, which was it? They were, they were sacked because they changed the name of a school or because they had policy questions around COVID and COVID health and No, safety? 40. 40 schools they wanted to change. And then they realized that Got the, it. the weight of the parents were like, this is not the Got priority. It. So the, the advocates for James Madison came out and threw out the school. But I have no idea. Who, who – do we – really, I mean – To I'm, blame white supremacists? You know, people of you know, color, here, they have these same is, values. I'm going to say something. So here, yeah. here's a problem. You can find in every debate people saying dopey things. You can find it. It's not that hard. Why are we so quick to get exercise? Why does I mean why does Eddie care whether someone said something stupid about a recall election in San Francisco? Why do you care? Why is it worth now, if we're going to have a debate about schools here in New York, okay, I'm open to it. Let's have a conversation about it. But don't just take the outlier craziness on both sides and then try to get me to refute it. I don't know. But as an elected official, we don't have recall here in New York. When de Blasio went off for that four months uh, where he was playing Don Quixote, you know, swinging against the corn stalks in uh, Iowa, would have been a perfect time. Everybody was uh, upset with him. Uh, people who supported him, people who didn't support him. 
Cuomo could have been subject to a recall. We don't have that a recall. in New York Can State. Can I ask? We have terms. We have terms. We have term limits that it's in the hands of the people. They can just vote the guy out. I bet you there are more people in the studio right now that voted in the school board elections in New York City last time. Yeah, but wait Let's stop acting so we don't high. Have to, we don't Let's... have term limits for governor and yeah, state senate and Every four state years, assembly. if you don't want the guy, you get rid of oh, him. Oh, come on. Come on. Every you know, four you know years... how By difficult way, it is to get is rid a... of an incumbent? This is a very bad time to be making this argument because we just threw out a governor. Well, no, we threw him out because he resigned, not no, because we threw no, him out. He wasn't he was, impeached. He was a half a step away from being impeached. He said it himself, I'm, no I'm getting out of the way. As a Democrat, uh, we, we need to discuss this next by not impeaching him. And he was on the verge of being impeached. He could come back to haunt the Democratic Party. A conversation about Cuomo. Can't we just end the show here? We can just all head <laughs> no, out no, to the snow. No, no, we got to talk Cuomo. That's my favorite subject. 1-800-848-9222. It's uh, Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly, Curtis Lewa on the right, every Saturday, 2 to 4. And if you miss it live, you get it on the podcast with all the other great podcasts here at WABCRadio.com. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Anthony, I was outside of the New York Sheraton for the start of the Democratic State Convention. All New York Democrats in attendance. I got to tell you, um, the buzz was not so much about Hillary introducing Kathy Hochul as a nominee for governor or even the attendance of the other Democratic notables or Tish James, uh, who was given the right by uh, a judge to uh, get depositions from Donald Trump and his two children. It was the specter of Andrew Cuomo. What is he going to do? He's got $16 million in a political war chest. Uh, his main guy in all of his years, Joe Pococco, out of federal prison on a corruption charge. Uh, he's near, he's living nearby. Uh, Chris Cuomo has uh, the compound out there in Southampton. Do you think he's just going to stay on the shelf, stay out of the political uh, races? Or do you think he actually will... In a, met, in a way, seek vengeance by actually running for an office. He said he's not running against Tish James, but only through third parties. You know Cuomo as well as anyone. What do you think is going on in his mind? What do you think he's planning to do? I don't know him very well. He pooped all over me when I had my problems, and I'm not going to do the same to him, except to say the thing you led with, the amount of money he has at his disposal – and the rules around spending money in elections are very are very broad. Like you can spend it on a whole bunch of different things. He can advocate for other candidates. He can do a series of ads nominally for a race, but are really about rehabilitating his own image. I think you're right. He's this Shakespearean figure right now in New York politics, just off to the stage. No one knows what he's going to do. I would, you know, he's not asking me for advice, but if I were he first, I think we got a pretty good attorney general I think the mayor's, the governor's race is crowded enough that I don't think he's going to add that much to it. But I do think that there is an opportunity for him to kind of step back and figure out a way to use that money in a way that gets his side of the story out. If he thinks that, that he's not being treated, obviously he does. He believes that this is all. I also want to point out something else. The, whether or not he was charged with crimes by these five district attorneys is now a closed case. And he can argue that, look, I wasn't charged with anything. But 
just because he's not criminal doesn't mean that the, it looks so good for him. I don't think that he's in a particularly good place to want to rehash all of these things. And I think he really is kind of poking at the victims again or the people that are making the allegations. get to continue the argument. I think it would be hard for him to get out from that argument. Um, but I, I kind of get the sense that he, he wants to get back in the game much faster than I was willing to do. And if he doesn't get back in the political game, I have a feeling that our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis of Red Apple Media, who's known the Cuomo's for many, many years, longer than I've known him, and I've known him going way back uh, to when Mario was a lawyer in Corona and made his bones out there. He might offer Andrew Cuomo an opportunity to host a talk radio program this, yeah. here at WABC. We are, this is a guy who is, like, really opinionated. That's for sure. I mean, we are going to become the station of the misfit toys, but... Uh, <laughs> But I, I look. He's certainly an intre- he, as a as an orator and as a, a, a debater and everything else. He's certainly talented. I you know the I don't like when my case and his case are raised in the same in the same breath because I took a very different tack than he's taking. But you see, people were never afraid of you. They are afraid of Andrew. Cuomo. No, no, I'm I'm not talking about the personality test. I'm talking about the the. How you deal with Michigas. Right. You know, I accepted responsibility, served, front, paid a price. You know, one of the things that ticked me off this week about people who are criticizing me being hired to work here is like, I've paid the price. What is the price I pay now? Like, why is there another price? Like, why does everyone think I should pay a second and a third and a fourth price? I paid a price. Arguably, someone like Governor Cuomo, he's been out of office like two months, three months, whatever it is. Um, and so I don't like it being discussed in the, in those in those same but terms. In terms of the specter of Cuomo, the fear that Democrats have, you know, I know a lot of Democrats. They're terrified of this I guy. I think there's something to that. You're right. I say he's on the shelf. He's got enough problems. Why yeah, but, are you so fearful? But if he has 19 million dollars going on 30 or 40 million that he can put on the air, ripping whatever whoever he wants, there's some of that as well. But I think that there's also this 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 muscle memory of him kicking everyone's butt for the last couple of years. He doesn't have those tools at his disposal right now. Um, but we'll, but we'll, we'll see. When you got that much money, it's hard not to spend it. Well, let's go to the phones. It's Philip calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here. Anthony Weiner on the left. Yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right. And you can eyeball us at WABCradio.tv. It is the TV network put together by Red Apple Media. You can actually watch most of our programs at WABCradio.tv and other programs that are logged on there. Go for it, Philip. Hey, I'm so pleased to be on. I'm an ardent listener to uh, to you, and um, I'm a dentist on Staten Island. I have a photo of you and me, Curtis, when we went to an anti-Semitic uh, parade in New York City, and I just think it's so great of the station and you to give um, Mr. Weiner another chance. And uh, by the way, you ain't too rusty, Mr. Weiner. You're, <laughs> you're great. In fact, I think you're kind of really sharper than Curtis, but I didn't say that. Anyway, I just wanted to say kudos to the station and kudos to both of you, and I'm I'm, I'm really pleased I got this opportunity. Thank you. Well, you see, Philip, I'm not going to smack you down because the only men and women I've ever been afraid of in my entire life, not even my father, that had a healthy fear of Chester, a dentist. Dentist, yep, that's for sure. I really believe if you wanted to clear out a corner of guys who are up to no good, you know, who were there, they just went on a looting spree or they went on a shoplifting spree and they're dividing up uh, their proceeds on the corner. You just put a dentist chair, you play the sound of a drill, and guys will go running for the hills in jail, which I've been a few times. The biggest fear factor that any inmate had 
was when all of a sudden they had dental pain, Ambisol didn't work, and they had to go to the dentist. Well, you know why? Because the solution they have is just to pull the teeth out. Exactly. Like, no, man, no, I'm serious. Like, for, you know, first of all, you, you don't have access. I remember I put myself on a cop out. You know, you write and ask for, to visit the, the dentist. Someone said, put, you know, I got to the first week. Someone's giving me advice. He says, go and put a cop out for a checkup for your, for your teeth. I said, my teeth are fine. He says, no, but the, the wait is about a year and a half, and you're leaving in 18 months. You, you're gonna, that, that's how long it's going to take. But you, you look around the yard, it's guys who look like hockey players who've been, been spitting chiclets their, their, their whole career. Um, because that's the solution in prison, because that's the cheapest thing to do. If you have, a, you, you have a cavity, you probably won't get it filled. They'll just pull the tooth out. But some of the wisest, smartest, most erudite men, you just mentioned the dentists, and they fold like cheap cameras. <laughs> anyway, let's go, if we can, to uh, Dennis, who's calling from White Plains. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Dennis? Yeah, hey, guys. Um, I, I wanted to take, I guess, exception about the inflation. Because, Mr. Weiner, you've said it for two weeks in a row that it's caused by COVID. I'm in the industry. I trade oil futures. This has nothing to do with COVID. If that was the case, you would have had inflation under President Trump. This is about the first day that Joe Biden got in office. And what did he do? He ended all of the independence as far as our oil. And that triggers everything that's shipped to your house. Everything at your grocery store, everything that's built, every table that you are the CEO of, this so on, you know, whatever company it was, it has to get shipped. And that's why we're seeing this inflation. You could turn it around tomorrow. COVID is a secondary, but please stop mis- misinterpreting what's going on out there. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, Dennis, but. Think about what you just described. You just described a part. The economy starts opening up. Airlines start flying again. People are ordering tons and tons and tons of goods that have to be shipped to their home that they might otherwise not go to their home for. These are things. These are demand spikes that are that are abnormal, that are not normal. Plus, if, when you take it from a time when zero economic activity. Remember, when we talk about inflation, it's a percentage increase from what it was. So if you have a period of time like we had during the shutdown when economic activity was very, very, very low and then suddenly it picks up, people start getting back to work, people start going out, people start spending, that's what drives inflation. The, here's the, the fundamental fact of it. It's not a U.S. phenomenon. So if you're going to say that inflation was caused by Joe Biden, how do you explain it in the EU? How do you explain it in Latin America? How do you explain it in Asia? It just doesn't make any sense. This is what's going on in the economy now. It's a distortion by COVID, and hopefully it'll get under control soon. Well, Anthony, from the uh, geopolitical to the national to the local issue of the restaurant sheds uh, that the city has said through the council they can stay, and all the bike racks that you probably love and I hate, we've got to get involved in some local issues up next right here on WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. So many ways we deliver content now that didn't exist before. You can catch us on the WABC app. Download it. It's free. The stream anywhere in the world. WABCradio.tv, which is the TV network created by John Katsimatidis of Red Apple Media. And naturally, the broadcast itself, you can catch it live or on podcasts at WABCradio.com and the many other great podcasts here 
of the shows, but also the other specialty items that are podcasted. Right now, let's go to Wendy, who's calling from the Upper West Side. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Wendy. Yeah. Hey there, Curtis. Um, So a couple points here, Anthony. I just want to say regarding your interview on Sean Hannity, I thought you did very well in that interview. And I agreed with you. I don't really need Sean Hannity to tell me how to think. I think the people can make our own decision and evaluate for ourselves. So I thought that went well. So my question is a very local one because we've talked a lot of global issues here on a local level. There's a lot of conversation right now about these restaurant sheds in New York City that were erected because of COVID. Now, are we going to keep them or are they going to go away? I think June is when they're supposed to expire. Personally, I really love the restaurant sheds. I think they're great. I think that they're very, you know, they represent a New York spirit and I think that they're fun. So between you and Curtis, what do you guys think about these restaurant sheds on the street? Should they stay or should they go? Well, I'm I'm conflicted here in in the literal sense. My brother Jason, he is the owner of a restaurant called Almond on East 22nd Street. It's a great restaurant. They have a shed outside. But I live in the East Village and these sheds are everywhere and some of them are charming and nice and well kept up and some of them are empty and just basically repositories for garbage and they look terrible and the graffiti's on the side. We even had one that somebody set on fire in, in, in our neighborhood. I think it's, it's an a, a, curb space is an asset for the public. If we're going to let people use it, I say more power to us, but let's have some kind of rules. Let's have some standards about how it's supposed to look. I know my brother was telling me you can't use propane tanks to heat it up. They have general outlines like that, but you see the, the disparity. Some of them look terrific, and some of them are eyesores. So if I were the if I were the mayor, I would say to the industry and I'd say to the to the neighborhoods, look, let's come up with some rules. You can only have a certain number on each block. They have to be consisting of this material. They have to be monitored. They have to be closed up at a certain hour, something like that. I don't know what the rules are, but I don't believe that we're in the kind of like anything goes ethos like we were during the height of COVID. I think we should take a deep breath and try to get this right. Well, Anthony, uh, some of them are the size of a Quonset hunt. I think if a 747 landed on Columbus Avenue, it could park itself uh, in one of these restaurant sheds. You're right. A lot of them are no longer being used. Uh, They've been vandalized. Uh, I think there's a rule of thumb here. I applied it uh, in my mayoral race also to bike lanes. You use it, you keep it. You don't use it, you lose it. Because we have bike lanes all over the city, and you can sit there, as I did one time on Queens Boulevard, an area you used to represent, your congressional district. I said, you know, I don't see any guys, not even delivery guys, going up and down on bicycles. So I sat there with my son, Carter and Hunter, and I taught him the game Skelly. You know, with the bottle caps, I made the board right on the bicycle lane for an hour. There was no traffic. A lot of the smaller businesses have lost the parking. They went with uh, the importance to their business and the deliveries. I think we have to establish you use it, you keep it. You don't use it, you lose it. Because there are too many things we have in the city now. People, they have it and they don't use it. So why do we keep maintaining it? And then we keep talking, oh, we're going to keep pushing. It's almost like, remember... Uh, the attitude that was taken towards casinos in Las Vegas when Bugsy Siegel told Mylansky, oh, we build it, they come. We build a bicycle lane and the bicyclists will come. In a lot of parts of the city, they still haven't come. Well, I look, I'm, I'm a biker. I, I use city bike. I think that there are, there are balance you have to strike. 
There are some bike paths, you know, that go down Woodhaven Boulevard all the way out through Broad Channel out to the Rockaways. Yes, it's not jam-packed, but it's an amazing bike lane to have, and you kind of need it because the traffic gets going a little faster towards the bottom of that. Um, but I, I think I think that that's right. Some of it's aspirational. Some of it's you put the bike lanes in in the hope that people would come. There are some decisions that were made about bike lanes that I have that a problem with these narrow streets that that are commercial streets. So one delivery truck and you basically clog the entire street. Um, but I, I am generally, if I had a bias, it would be for, for more bike lanes, not fewer. Well, what about Avenue A? I used to live there at St. Mark's uh, off of Avenue A, uh, Tompkins Square Park, when it was the Alphabet Jungle. They took up a whole block for city bike, for the, the bike dockets. Yeah, they just put them in yesterday. Uh, I it's, it's a weird one. That's a weird one, I admit, because it's right around the corner from one that exists. But it's in my, you know, I'm going to use it all the time. There is an imbalance that sometimes creates. People take the bikes out in the morning. Then you have no bikes in the morning. And then when they return after rush hour, there's no place to dock them. I, I think the city bike is one of the great success stories in New York well, City. I will tell years. you that I am suffering the ramifications. In the summer of 2020, you may have seen the video, me and the Guardian Angels fighting off the looters. The guys picked up a city bike and hit me right in the head. I'm telling you, I'm still suffering the ramifications. Is the statute of limitation over? Can I sue city bike? I mean, let's face it. It's one of the Fortune 500. But if you're going to sue, you might as well sue Citibank. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, there's no competition. Unlike a lot of other cities, oh, no, 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 no. There's, there's, there's plenty of there's plenty of services out there that are like uh, that are e-bikes, particular that you can sign up for membership on. There, there are, but they do have the advantage because they have the docking space on New York City streets. That's right. And uh, same time, same place. Next week, Anthony Weiner here every Saturday uh, from two to four. And as I said, you can get it on podcasts. Uh, if you miss it, uh, refer it to friends. Anthony, as you said. The power of WABC at night can be heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, Europe, uh, and even at the Bermuda, uh, even in the Bermuda and the Bahamas. Uh, and people are starting to listen. It is the number one news talk station in the nation. So this show, like all the other shows, uh, will definitely take on an audience of its own. And hopefully, you get an opportunity to say all the things that sometimes aren't said on WABC during uh, the middle of the week. I think that's right. I want to thank you. I know you've kind of been been handling me with kid gloves the first couple of weeks. I expect that's going to end soon. Well, I got to let you get your radio <laughs> talk legs back. It's not fair. You got to scrape the rust off. Uh, you know, I'm known to be a bruiser. Uh, so why not at least let you get back into the groove?